to the Mad Max Minute. Please keep your head down as we watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 3, which begins with a slow descent towards the dry and dusty outback, and it ends with a very unique aircraft banking to the right. We start off today high above the outback, high above the wasteland. This is a new level of wasteland than we have seen before. Prior to this, our exposure to the wasteland was still trees and scrub and pinnacles. Yeah, there were still recognizable elements of the pre-collapse world. Here, there's nothing. This is nothing. Our perennial source for Mad Max trivia, MadMaxMovies.com, told me that this stretch of desert is known as the Moon Plain, and the official website of Cooper Petty, which is where a lot of the production based their operations in Barter Town is outside of Cooper Petty, and this is outside of Cooper Petty. Anyway, the official website of that town lists the Moon Plain as being about... 15 kilometers northeast of town, it is a vast expanse of rocky plains unlike anywhere else with a lunar-like landscape. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is someplace you can very easily visit today. Easily? Okay, you go to Cooper Petty and then you drive 15 kilometers northeast of town. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> It's the type of place that conspiracy theorists love. Mm -hmm. We didn't really land on the moon. <laughs> it was all filmed outside Cooper Petty. Is that what they say? I don't know. Okay. I'm making assumptions for a comedic effect. I was like, because everybody knows that the moon landing was filmed on a soundstage by Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Not really. No. Well, we did actually even, go to the moon. Even movies that are filmed on sound stages go out on location every now and then for authenticity. And it's that very thing. If Stanley Kubrick actually did direct the moon landing, he would go to the moon just to be more authentic because yes, that's the kind of director that Stanley Kubrick was. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of directors, I found a, another article. This one was on KytheriaFamily.net talking about Beyond Thunderdome. This is an excerpt of George Miller talking about the story of Beyond Thunderdome. And I feel like I want to go through this as we are getting into it. So George Miller says, in my mind, it's now about 15 years later. In that time, I imagine he's had a number of adventures and has basically survived them all. As resources have diminished, he's probably built up his capital, which is his wagon train. He collects things, finds things, is resourceful enough to improvise. By the start of this movie, there's no fuel. So he just scavenges about finding things necessary to survive. Essentially, he's a prince of his particular world and someone who has survived very well in it. He can defend himself if anyone by and large tries to take things away from him. The main lesson I think he learned from the road warrior was that no man is an island and that you can't help but be involved in the community of men. And he particularly learns this in the third picture. One of the main reasons we did this film was to get the opportunity to really push the character a lot further. He undergoes a much bigger journey in this picture. So we talked a lot during season two about campfire theory. The idea that timeline isn't very important because every Mad Max movie with the exception of the first one is just a story told by someone else. We don't start this movie with a narration of another character. We end it that way. So that's why I feel like it's more important to focus on what George Miller has said specifically as we go forward in this movie. I agree. I like the campfire theory. I think it fits evidence presented, but so does timeline theory. And it's what George Miller said right there. Mm. So it's 
True. So we can assume that if Mad Max 1979 happened when Max was, let's say, 25. By Road Warrior, he's 27. By Beyond Thunderdome, he's mid to late 30s. Yeah. Which is still young enough to do quite a lot. Oh, thank you. That's very generous of you. I mean, we look at what he does in this movie and you're like, oh yeah, he can still do that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Another article I found on Lafissier.com. This was... Another thing talking about the movie, he says, Terry Hayes, co-producer and screenwriter, shares his excitement when telling the so far secret story of the film. It's an old article, if you can't tell. (laughs) Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome starts 15 years after Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior. So another person saying how long it's been. As Mel Gibson later comments, all the juice is now gone. What is left of society has reverted to an even more primitive level. Max himself is older and more world weary. He survived any way he could. He led basically a nomadic existence, coming across people and trading a few things. Between those two statements, a couple things stand out. He's older, he's more world-weary, but at the same time, he's also more experienced. And he's more willing to reach outside of himself, not necessarily to build his own community, because he's a community of one, but to not completely shun the outside world. Which we will see evidence of, particularly I'm thinking about, when he's with the waiting ones, and they want to go out and explore and make it to Barter Town. And he goes to great lengths to stop them yeah. for their own safety, that they are just fine and thriving in the crack of the earth, and he wants them to stay there. And he does things to keep them there. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a whole other conversation Yes, when we get I, to it. I think the Max at the beginning of Road Warrior would not have cared. Right. So fine, if you want to go wander out and find Barter Town and lead a horrifying existence, then go ahead. But he's not that man anymore. Yeah, this is a, it's just a different guy. This is not the man who wandered out into the wasteland. This is the man who learned to live again in the blighted land. Yes. Just like the feral child was talking about in his little monologue. And I think the maturity that we see in him in this movie, that he is making his way in the world, he's more living a life than just wandering, trying to run away from something. Right. Those are things that me as a person in my mid-30s, I'm not that much younger than Mad Max is in this movie. I absolutely see the same thing in me. When I was, you know, in my early 20s, I was just figuring things out and trying different things and some things were successful and some things weren't. And now that I'm a full-fledged adult, which is terrifying, (laughs) but I see the way that I relate to my world is more mature, more controlled. So I don't think it takes these horrific circumstances in post-apocalyptic society to bring someone to those new levels. Yeah. That's just... The world as just society in general, post-apocalyptic or not. I'm not sure if this is going to be a popular opinion or not, but the more I think about it, the more I think that I like the Max at the beginning of Beyond Thunderdome better than the Max at the beginning of Road Warrior. Like, you've got the man with no name, blondie, walking into town, western style of that second movie Mad Max, but I like this Mad Max just because he's smarter to me. Seems more educated in the ways of the world. And popular phrasing of millennials, I guess, 
of which I am relating to right now, is that at the beginning of Road Warrior, he didn't know who he was. He had not self-identified yet. Yeah. And the movie of The Road Warrior helped him along that path a lot. And I think 15 years down the road, he is finally figuring out who he is, who he wants to be, and how he's going to make that work for himself. Yeah. 15 years is a long time to jump between stories. It really is. I mean... Think of yourself 15 years ago. You're a completely different person. Yeah. You know, can you imagine like if they waited like 30 years between Mad Max stories? That would be insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I try not to break my arm patting myself on the back for that one. Anyway, circling back into the movie, this first shot that we're looking at is incredibly long. It is a full 43 seconds of this movie just us on a slow descent from high above the desert and we are coming down closer and closer and as the closer we get the more we're able to see that this is a train of camels pulling a wagon and there's a figure sitting at the front of that wagon we all know who it is but to play along with the story of this movie we're just going to refer to this guy as the mysterious man in black <laughs> Like, between you, me, and the fact that everyone's listening to this, we know who it is. Yeah. But for the sake of the story, it's the man in black. Right. So, yeah, we just slowly zoom on this guy. And what I like about it is that we've just stepped away from one of the living, this really good Tina Turner song. And as the credits have ended and we've faded in on this look, the music has faded away and we're just listening to wind. It's very desolate. I love how graceful these opening moments are. The camera is not steadily zooming in on our point of interest this man in black it's gliding in it's, it's like swaying back and forth a little bit and it's very serene mm -hmm. which is a complete opposite of what we're looking at this desolation and i really like that juxtaposition between grace and desolation what i find interesting is we don't start off this movie with a high-speed car chase no and I like what that says about the movie. This is not the same movie. This is not a repeat or a remake of the things that we've seen before because the fuel is gone. There's not going to be high speed chases in this movie. There is, but that's not till the very, very end. And even then, is even it then really high debatable. speed? I mean, it's <laughs> at speed, but it's not high speed. Yeah. That's just not the world we're in right now. We're going through these different stages of society, and the stage we're in right now is camels. Mm -hmm. And I mean, camels, they can move when they need to. I have some notes later on in the movie talking about just how fast a camel can move, but yeah. at the same time, for this particular wagon, haste is not an issue. And no. so we're not going to have a chase scene. We're just going to have this very slow descent down towards this wagon. And like I said, we have the wind. It's very serene, just juxtaposed against the desolation. But it's not just the wind. As we get closer to the ground, more music starts to come in. We get like some flutes and some synth. And I'm pretty sure there's a didgeridoo in there somewhere. Yeah, it reminded me of where the green ants dream. Mm, yes, there was yes. some great didgeridoo in that one. And we continue descending until we're almost right on top of the wagon. And we have a really quick cut. It's about half a second long from swooping down onto the cart and then all of a sudden we see the landing gear of a plane come in real quick and then we cut immediately to the landing gear of that plane striking our man in black 
more or less in the face. Now, that being said, our cart driver here is able to get his hand up in front of his face and I guess catch the wheel before it completely knocks him out. Yeah. But uh, it's indeed a, a hit to the head. This is a serious concussion warning type situation. I have the novel that is based on the screenplay written by Tara Hayes and George Miller. So last season, we had the screenplay. Some version of the screenplay was unclear how close it was to actual production, but some version of the screenplay. For Beyond Thunderdome, the screenplay is not available because they've novelized it. So I'm reading the novelization of the screenplay and a couple key things stood out to me for this first scene that they point out specifically that the pilot Jedediah had cut the engines of the plane and was coasting down towards the cart. So a lot of people ask why didn't the driver hear the plane coming and get out of the way because the engines were cut. That's why. Yeah. In fact, once you see our man in black fall to the ground, which considering there are how many rocks there are on the ground, it's lucky that he didn't bust his head open on a rock that he happened to land in the one soft sand spot that the production crew made for him. But as the plane swoops up and starts turning, you can hear the sound effect of the engine starting back up again. There's kind of a sputter and a start, and that's our evidence in the movie at least that they were more or less coasting now the plane that we see here is called a transavia pl12 air tuck this one specifically is modified by the production but based on the specifications that i found about this aircraft it's stall speed which as far as i've come to understand i'm not an expert on planes we've got other people for that but it's stall speed which is the minimum speed before it stops generating lift is 58 miles per hour or 93 kilometers per hour, which means conservatively that our man in black took a tire to the face at close to highway speed. That is frightening. Yeah. Because in the novel, it does say specifically that he took a wheel to the face. There was no deflecting it. He took that to the face. Yeah. How did that not kill him? Because it's Mad Max, and things don't kill Mad Max, that's why. Right. So our man in black has been knocked from his cart. The plane that has unseated him has flown back up into the sky and is turning around. And we cut inside the cockpit where we see one familiar face, one new face. The familiar face is that of Bruce Spence playing Jedediah the pilot. If you want to know more about Bruce Spence, you can go back to season two, listen to episode 11 where he shows up. And Jedediah... Our pilot yells bullseye, and the little kid in front of him, who is Jedediah Jr., his boy, he says, you betcha, dad. <laughs> I love this exchange between the two of them. It's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. So this little scamp is Adam Cockburn. Thunderdome is only his second film appearance. Before appearing in Thunderdome, he was in another movie called Lorca and the Outlaws in 1984, where he played a school child. The other movies on his IMDb top four include The Miraculous Melops in 1991, where he played a cabin boy, and 1987's The Right Hand Man, where he played Violet Head. He only appeared in movies until about 1992. He racked up about 11 acting credits. 
before he called it quits. According to a few wiki sites and one other site called boyactors.org, which I'm sure means that I'm on a watch list now for yeah. pulling that one up, but yeah. they list him as an actor that has appeared in Beyond Thunderdome and works currently as a disc jockey. I don't know how accurate that is, how recent it is. He was probably a DJ at some point. Who knows? Maybe he sells jewelry now. It wouldn't be the first time a child actor has gone from a Mad Max movie to sell jewelry, but that's beside the point. Getting back into the minute, an interesting thing about Road Warrior and Thunderdome is that if you do not count voiceover narration, which, why would you? This is the second Mad Max movie where Bruce Spence has the first line of spoken dialogue. Really? Yep. Last time around, when he popped out of the ground and yelled, don't hurt the snake, that's the first time in that movie that a character that's not the narrator, has said anything. Wow. I'm sure we noted that when we were talking about those minutes forever ago, but wow. Yep. So he had, don't hurt the snake in Road Warrior. And this time around, he yells bullseye. And for anyone curious, the first spoken dialogue in Mad Max 1979 was from the MFP dispatcher. And that was, this is a routine pursuit, main force repeats, this is a routine pursuit, code 44. I do not lump radio chatter in with narration because I don't think they're the same thing. And I feel like I'm justified in doing it that way. Yeah, because the radio dispatcher, while she was never on screen, the nature of her character was personified by the radio itself. Yeah. You know, it's too bad they didn't have Bruce Spence as the MFP dispatcher. That would have been awesome. Then he would have had the first line in every movie until Fury Road. Yeah. Man, missed opportunity. Oh, well. <laughs> Coulda, shoulda, woulda. As for the fancy chapeaus that these chaps are wearing, these are, of course, pith helmets, but they've got the little knobbies on the front because there are holes cut in the brims for little electric motors, little battery-operated cooling fans. Oh. Yeah. Nifty little style choice there. Yes. Sounds really nice. <laughs> Anything to get air moving across your face, right? Yes. <laughs> so our two pilots are very happy with the fact that they've unseated their quarry. And the next shot we see is a couple seconds of just the plane banking up and around to the right. They are coming around to do another pass. And so there are shenanigans in store for our man in black that we're going to uh, catch up on. But in the meantime, we've got an interesting extra bit of content to share with everybody. You may have noticed we've only done three episodes this week. That's going to be the new format. For anyone who's joining us fresh this season, in past seasons, we've done five episodes a week. This time around, we're doing three episodes a week just to stretch out the content a little bit more. But if you want more of us, you can go on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash madmaxmin, because we are doing a little sideshow called Anarchy Road. Julia, do you want to tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. So we wanted to stick to some kind of theme, but branch out a little bit more than our hiatus episodes. So the theme that we chose was the gaggle of kids. So we are going to review the movie Hook. We're going to do it five minutes at a time, releasing one episode per week every Saturday. We're going to drop it at the same time that we drop our weekly episodes, which is midnight Eastern time. Yep. Yes. So midnight Eastern time every Saturday morning, we'll be dropping that episode. And our Mad Max episodes are produced by Rick. So you, you very much are getting his vision of what he wants this podcast to be. The weekend Patreon episodes of Anarchy Road are going to be produced by me. 
So I think they're going to come out a little bit different. I think yeah. you'll, you'll be able to get a sense of Rick's personality versus my personality and how we produce podcasts. Mm-hmm. But it's a good opportunity for us to <laughs> spend some time with another movie. We spend so much time researching and preparing and recording these episodes of just Mad Max content. So it'll be nice to set that aside for a little while every week and just talk about another classic movie where a middle-aged man who's beset on all sides by worries and cares is suddenly thrust into a situation where he's surrounded by children and has to adapt accordingly. Yes. Like, it all works. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a stretch. Yes, but... Nah, it fits. It fits, more or less. And when I was casting about for what movie we could do that has some sort of thematic connection to Mad Max, this one hook really caught my attention, mostly because it has Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. And to get to analyze and research and study his acting is going to be an absolute pleasure. Yep. So all you need to do to get in on that action, go to our Patreon It's just three bucks a month. I mean, considering how much you get between the main show and the extra bit, like, I don't want to turn this into a situation where I'm begging for money or anything like that, but you do get some good stuff. $3 a month, you get the extra podcast, you get a couple of download links where you can download all of season one and season two pretty much all at once. If you want to take the extra step and go $5 a month, we've got this cool thing. We didn't have a chance to showcase it this week because we didn't get that big of a response from people. But if you go on our Patreon, give us $5 a month, you're going to get a link where you can go through and I've cut out every minute, minute, shot, time code, dialogue, and you can go in and you can add your own notes. And I will have your notes up in front of me. And if you go in there, throw something in there, attach your name to it somehow, identify yourself, please, then I will have your information while we're recording live. And you will be part of the show for only five bucks a month. And it'll help us keep afloat. Yes. Yep, it'll help us to pay our hosting fees that we renew each year. It'll help us to upgrade equipment. Mm -hmm. We also go to a podcasting convention each year, which is enormous amounts of fun. It's great for networking. We get to meet a lot of the other people who make minute-by-minute movie podcasts, and it's a fantastic opportunity to meet the people that we talk to Mm -hmm. over the airwaves. One thing that I'm really looking forward to about the collaboration level on Patreon is that we've got some really great people who contribute on our listeners page. And quite often they'll say something that I wish that I had known about or thought about while we were recording. Mm -hmm. Because that would have sparked a conversation to go in a certain direction that I wish we had taken. So having those points of view from outside of each other and being able to incorporate that into our conversation, I think is going to be a lot of fun and be a huge benefit to our podcast. Yeah, so... If you want to check out our Patreon, you already know the link to that. If you want more information about the yearly convention in Denver, you can go to moviesbyminutes.com slash Denver, like the city. If you like our format and want to find other shows like it, go to just straight up moviesbyminutes.com. There are, as we're recording this, 89 different Movies by Minute podcasts to choose from. So many. And of course, they pretty much all stem from the godfathers of the format. Pete and Alex from Star Wars Minute. We want to make sure we get a shout out to them. (laughs) But as for us, I think it's time to take a break and we'll catch up when the next minute comes around. 
The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute three of beyond thunderdome see you next time Everybody say-